Our speaker today is Sophie Blackstad, founder and CEO of Hive Online, an award-winning blockchain-based platform revolutionizing access to financial services for unbanked entrepreneurs in the African informal economy. Sophie is empowering Africa's agricultural economy through blockchain and her commitment to this cause is deeply personal. Having experienced unemployment, homelessness and hunger herself, she recognized the challenges faced by African smallholder farmers. Sophie's journey fuels a profound determination to create opportunities and transform lives. Here's her story. I'm often asked why we work with African smallholder farmers. I tell people I first understood the challenges when I delivered banking technology in Africa, but it goes deeper than that. As someone who's been unemployed, homeless and hungry, I've been a victim of circumstance. But I've had many opportunities too. If you were born to be a smallholder farmer in Africa, you'd be a victim of circumstance, but without those opportunities. I set up Hive Online to create opportunities for people. There are a huge number of people working as smallholder farmers who don't have access to opportunities. And we're using blockchain to reach across the digital divide and to create those opportunities. This is the story of how it happened. I was lucky to be born in a country where I had access to education. I learned skills to get better jobs, taught myself programming, learned about technical infrastructure, and eventually took an MSc. I still don't have a bachelor's though. Those learning opportunities aren't available to the people Hive Online supports, but they have as much right to a better life as I did. My skills led me to building first banking technology and then banking businesses for eight international banks, which gave me a really good lifestyle and the opportunity to live in five countries and quite a bad opera habit. But the more I learned about banking, the more I came to realize banks weren't always the answer. While I was at Citigroup, I was responsible for delivering infrastructure into 13 African countries, plus Pakistan, Kazakhstan, and Russia, and saw firsthand how difficult it is for banks to reach people in big countries with poor infrastructure. I grew to understand that even in developed economies, a significant minority of people don't have access to financial services, either because they're too poor or for accessibility reasons. I was writing my second book with Rob Allen, who's a payments blockchain specialist, and I was fascinated with mobile money and how community structures in Africa act as a substitute for formal infrastructure. So a large part of the book was about how fintech is helping Africa to access financial services and the opportunities presented by blockchain. We saw the opportunity to digitize other types of value systems. One of our chapters was called The Cow in Your Pocket, where we describe how tokenization opportunities can help rural, rural communities. Blockchain can support complex financial products without any intervention from an institution and without needing to trust anyone. Transactions recorded on the blockchain can't be altered, reducing the risk of fraud and corruption. Blockchain is both financial infrastructure and allows us to digitize value that isn't money, like things and behaviors. Smallholder farmers may transact in cash or in other assets like seeds or nuts. 
a lot of value is tied up in assets like trees or cows. By digitizing both cash and asset transactions, blockchain can build a complete commercial history, even in the informal economy, and financial products using different value systems. I realized that a book doesn't change anything, so I set up Hive Online with my co-founder, Matt, who I met on the first cohort of MIT's Future Finance course, so future finance course, try saying that. We developed our idea and started building a network, going to events, taking advantage of free exhibition space. That led to an invitation to an event at the World Economic Forum in Davos, which was very weird. But there I met someone who had written one of the best studies of green fintech opportunities I've ever seen. He understood how transformational our plans were and introduced us to working groups on green finance and central banks about blockchain and payments policy. Matt had a young family, so he had to keep his job while we raised money. So I was on my own most of the first year being a chief everything officer. I was lucky to raise a significant pre-seas round from an angel investor with a prototype app, no customers, and a big vision. The fundraising process was completely new to me. Everything from forecasting to term sheets to investment contracts was a steep learning curve. And with hindsight, I really wish someone had told me to read Venture Deals before that round. Oh, it's not, sorry, there we go. <laughs> because we ended up with a strange investment agreement that led to a lot of expense later on. <clears throat> One of the other things I wish someone had told me <clears throat> was to make money as soon as possible. I now earn a fair amount from speaking and teaching, which I could have done from the outset if I'd been smarter. VCs will tell you to stay focused on the business, but if consultancy can keep your business alive, I think it's a legitimate thing to do. Having raised money, I did what any founder did and started hiring, but I made some bad hiring mistakes. One was someone who I'd worked with at a bank who'd been a really strong program manager but didn't get startup life. Another was a salesperson who was a terrible fit for us ethically and caused all sorts of problems by claiming we did things we didn't. Things came to a head when he plagiarized a newspaper article and published it on our website. That's only the second time in my career I've sacked someone on the spot. Although we always planned to launch in Africa, we thought we'd need to scale in our home market first, which was wrong. So we started with Danish micro-businesses. The problem was the same, building trust for businesses which didn't have a significant digital footprint. And we built a pretty cool app, but we discovered Danish businesses don't care if they go bankrupt. They just start another business. We went through a really rough time that year. Having spent money on hiring the wrong people, we hadn't got sufficient funds to hire the right people who could sell our product. We struggled with shareholder relationships and failed to deliver against the promises we'd made. We were much too focused on product. And although that got us in the Danish regulatory sandbox, it didn't get us anywhere with growth or investment. But soon we had the opportunity to address African markets when we were selected to repurpose what we had built for savings groups in Niger. That helped us build the blockchain back end at last. We decided we needed our own development team, we'd used the outsource before, and I needed developers who could understand customers who were illiterate and didn't have internet access, which European developers would struggle with. So our technology team is built here in Kigali by a talented international African team. 
We were still too focused on product though. And although we built a good relationship with a local bank in Niger, it was going to take too long to reach a sustainable business model based on lending to groups. So we parted ways with our client, although we hope to work with them again. But we learned a lot from meeting the groups and talking to them about their needs. One thing that really resonated was that they were economically and commercially active and wanted more commercial opportunities. So the segue into cooperatives was natural for us. And we found that opportunity the following year with a Norwegian NGO working in the cashew sector in Mozambique. Blockchain is infrastructure and it's not accessible for non-techies. We wanted to reach people who weren't using technology to overcome the digital divide, the literacy divide and the financial divide. So we chose to leverage group structures and merchants who knew the farmers to build digital footprints for farmers with or without phones. We built up a transaction history of their cash interactions with the groups and merchants and used that to prove to banks that farming communities are commercial, commercially active and credit worthy. But we also knew giving people access to finance isn't enough. Farmers need finance to manage cash flow, but they also need sales opportunities for income and as a reason to grow more crops. So we provide education on how to grow better crops, vouchers for inputs, and link crop forecasts to retailers to sell their produce. This is the foundation of the distributed economy and of our vision to digitize the barter economy by tokenizing things like inputs, trees, cows, and crops and behaviors like climate smart agriculture. As well as having access to formal finance, they'll be able to pay for things with other things like trees for nuts, reducing the need for expensive money. Next year, we'll be connecting them to climate rewards for another income opportunity. It's been far from easy. Oh, go back again. It's been far from easy, but we've kept listening to our customers and thousands of farmers are now benefiting from digitization, access to education, crop inputs and lending with commercial and financial partnerships in Mozambique and a growing presence in Kenya. I'm particularly happy that all women's savings groups have been graduating to become cooperatives and more commercial advantages because the platform makes it easy for them. So what do people do when given opportunities? When I had the opportunity to learn, that opportunity meant I developed my career and then my business. When farmers have the opportunity to grow and sell better crops, that's what they do. Wherever people are born, whatever their backgrounds, people take advantage of opportunities.